0: This is the Mizzou Sports Podcast Presented by the Columbia Daily Tribune
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mizzou Sports Podcast My name is Eric Blum, breaking down Mizzou Sports with you every week here on the show. Joining me is the prep writer for the Columbia Daily Tribune, Langston Newsom. How are you doing, Langston? Absolutely
0: fantastic. How about yourself?
1: Good. The prep writer title just doesn't feel right anymore because you've been <laughs> con- contributing in you know, the Mizzou world for a while now, but uh, here we are on Thursday the 23rd. Uh, Phil Steele is our special guest this week. Already recorded with him earlier today. Went great. Got some good insight on why he picks Mizzou 6th in the SEC only better than Vanderbilt. Uh, and a couple other things just in the you know, the, it feels like kind of the college football state of the union with Phil Steele because we kind of went back to last year and talked a little bit about that because I went back and actually listened to our interview with him in 2019, and he was very high on Mizzou saying a double-digit win total was possible and, you know, how he thought it was a slam dunk the NCAA was going to be overturned by the start of the season. and But here we are today, and none of that is true. But uh, just, uh, again, a great perspective for him uh, and just— going forward for college football you know uh, it's another week since we've recorded an episode and and the cases in the coronavirus pandemic nationwide haven't turned around so we're still kind of waiting to see what kind of happens here you know but Langston just kind of first off give me overall thoughts kind of going into college football and all that now that we're a week closer to when the scheduled start of the season is still September 5th for Mizzou but we're less than I mean we're two and a half weeks away essentially we're 17 days from the start of fall camp starting on August 7th right now.
0: You know, it's interesting because it's kind of like what we've said in the past couple of podcasts is, you know, football is going to continue. Um you know cases will continue to rise but the sec and you know the power five schools they will are going to continue to move forward with you now fall football and i think they're already in a, in a better position than the nfl with you know earlier this week the uh nfl and the nfl players association really not agreeing to terms for you know conditions for covid testing and things like that before rookie camp started for i believe the chiefs and the houston texans so they're already in a better position than that i think the ncaa and the nfl has both kind of dragged their heels um when it comes to making protocols and things such such like that, um, because they had so much time, you know, instead of sports like the MLB or the WNBA. But you know, sports are officially coming back this afternoon with the MLB, and I believe college football is still going to push forward with that August seventh start date.
1: Yeah, I agree with you, and uh, I'm not very good at math, and I can say that it's 15 days, not 17, because it starts in two Fridays from now, and I was like, oh yeah, 17. No, it's 15. Uh, but yeah, no, it 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 just it feels like college football is. Still happening. There was that bizarre hearing yesterday with the with 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 the Senate, where it's very clear that a lot of these senators, you know, uh, you know, I'm going out on a limb here, saying that they don't know what they're talking about with college football, and just we're making up some opinions. Like something happened with Rudy, and they just it got, it got into the stupid argument it always does in Congress these days. It seems like
0: it's it's fascinating. It's, it seems like college football or college athletics as a whole is one of those few things where the average person knows more than people in Congress and what's going on. And it's just interesting to watch that play out on Twitter yesterday afternoon and some of the you know the idiotic questions and things like that, such as I forget who who asked this question, but they were basically like you know mediocre college coaches don't get paid that much.
1: That was Lindsey Graham, I think. And who said I, that. I, yeah.
0: I I can't I can't you know emphasize how hard my eyes rolled when I when I when I saw that and I was just like this guy. Has no idea what he's talking about but it's okay i guess there's was no both mediocre. democrats
1: and republicans for anybody think we're being divided oh, yeah, everybody no. was stupid no, yesterday. no
0: one knows what they're talking about but you know what i guess there's no mediocre coaches in, in college football okay.
1: I, <laughs> well I, I guess technically to be one of the top 130 coaches in the you know college football to be fbs you know technically you got to do something right to get there and like you know even, even last year a good example be eli drinkwitz he was a successful coordinator for several years at the fbs level before he got a chance to be at app state so it, so there is something to that. It's just your job is very much performance-based, very much unlike an elected official, where you can have a scenario, which we get into with Phil Steele, like a Barry Odom last year, where you're on top of the world in Nashville in the middle of October. And six weeks later, you basically know you're being fired, whether you're going to that Arkansas game or not, and that kind of push and pull. You know just that doesn't that that accountability i guess just kind of can't happen as elected official because of voting and you know how long terms can be but just going off of that and kind of going into where missouri's season kind of hits now you know it, it was it, 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 it's sad to say we're still kind of unclear as, as to what will happen um you know it, it, it's weird but a needed conversation at this point to kind of think about wow missouri is this close and they're still holding practices maybe you know, a season seems more likely at this point, but then you look at how all the other hurdles of like travel and you know uniform conference testing and all that, and just how everything can be affected. As as close as it seems, it still seems kind of far away. It's it's a really unique season, and I think if there is football, which I still think conference only is the way it'll go, just how fluid a situation will be. Like I don't I don't think a, sister, a situation like. I'm flying to pick a road game I'd have to fly to off the top of my head, uh, BYU. Like, I'm flying from either Kansas City to, you know, Salt Lake and driving up to Provo, and it's like, well, you get to Salt Lake and it's cancelled. Like, a situation that can be that fluid. And plus, I don't even know how travel would work for this year, if they even allow road reporters this year. That's something that's very unclear at this point. Because we'd be traveling and bringing any symptoms of a disease with us, too, just as much as any players would be, even if we stay in close contact. We're from another state. So, all of that is still very much up in the air. Maybe there'll be a national mandate on that. But yeah, unless anything anything else you want to add real quick, Langston, we'll keep the intro kind of short because I know people want to listen to Phil Steele. So here is my conversation from earlier today with college football expert Phil Steele. Joining the Mizzou Sports Podcast this time is the publisher of the Phil Steele College Football Preview Magazine, Phil Steele. How are you doing, sir?
2: You know, I'm doing great, Eric. How about yourself today?
1: Doing well on this, I guess, uh, early Thursday morning here in Columbia, wherever you're located. Hope things are going well for you as well with the coronavirus and everything like that. I guess that's kind of where we'll start today is I know that usually it's Thanksgiving weekend and Memorial Day weekend is just deadline after deadline to hit to get a magazine out. When did this year's process of doing this magazine, you know, kind of change because of COVID-19 and how did you kind of still pull it off with all the restrictions in place?
2: Yeah, it, it definitely changed in March, and the good thing was, as you touched on, we start the Sunday after Thanksgiving, so we had all of December, all of January, all of February, and got started in March, and we, were, we had a good portion of the magazine really rolling, and then once March hit, you know, the office got shut down, the state of Ohio closed down, so I was uh, coming to work every day, but it was an empty office, just myself in here, and uh, so at that point, I made the determination, we Cannot get this magazine out of here by the end of May like we normally do. It's a six-month job. So uh, you know, once it, the staff was allowed to return, they came back full force, ready to go. And then we started talking to the coaches again. And I didn't know what to expect talking to the coaches, uh, Eric. But for the the majority of them, I talked about 110 of the head coaches out there. Or in fact, every single one of them was basically, "Hey, next man up." We didn't have spring practice. We'll be okay. Uh, the ones I feel sorry for, are first-year head Coaches without the benefit of spring practice, but for the most part, experienced head coaches with, with even with zero spring practice, they were fine. They said, "Put the football on the field; we'll be ready to play." And so that got me fired up. And then, uh, you know, July eighth came around. That's when we put the magazine out. Finally, it took us that long to get it, and now it's it's out and about. So uh, it it made it a longer process than normal, and definitely a strange one back in the month of March and April.
1: For sure. I got my copy in the mail on Monday. Uh, and if you pre-ordered it, you should probably already have yours by now. But the Columbia location of Barnes & Noble, I believe, is starting to display. theirs either later today or tomorrow. And based on where you're listening in the state, there's some books of millions in Kansas City and St. Louis. It should all be by the weekend at the very latest. Uh, this, is, this year's preview is still 352 pages. It seems like a labor of love and maybe even more of kind of the labor part this year because of coronavirus and how you had to maneuver through that. But just kind of first off... Was one of the 110 coaches you talked to Eli Drinkwitz?
2: We didn't get to talk to him this year. Not sure why, but uh, did not get to talk to him this year.
1: And that, that's uh, that's alright, but uh, you mentioned you feel sorry for the first-year head coaches. We have one here in Columbia, and I know we talk to you every summer, so I kind of want to catch up. I mean, how surprised were you, you know, just from the Columbia point of things, Missouri was on a great trajectory despite their early season loss to Wyoming, 5-1. and one. And then really in the matter of six weeks from that Vanderbilt game to the home Tennessee game was kind of just top of the world to kind of a complete implosion. I mean, just what did you see from the Missouri team last year that just kind of just fell out of nowhere and... You know, why, you know, do you think that was more so just because the NCAA ban really not being overturned until 72 hours straight up before the final kickoff of the season before Arkansas? Or what do you attribute a lot of that to?
2: Yeah, I'm not really sure, Eric. You know, because if if you know when we t- discussed this last year, I was bullish on Missouri. I was like, "Wow, they've got the talent and they've got the schedule to contend for the SEC East." And you know, the hiccup against Wyoming, it happens sometimes when you're playing a non-conference game like that. I mean, it's not like Missouri was dominated at the line of scrimmage; they had a 28 to 16 first down edge. Then they looked like I thought they would beating West Virginia, Southeast Missouri, South Carolina, Troy, and old Miss. I was was highly confident they go into Vanderbilt and come out with the win. I was basically stunned by that result. And the next week, I'm like, okay, well, they're still a double digit favorite at Kentucky. Once again, stunned by the way Kentucky dominated the game. And then, the you know, Georgia, Florida are pretty tough teams. I thought they had a shot in the Tennessee game. Didn't happen. But uh, overall, it was to me, it was uh, uh, just a, a pretty stunning performance. Now, Kelly Bryant getting banged up for a time didn't help. But uh, overall, uh, I had expected more out of Missouri. And uh, you know the uh, I I thought the NCAA bull ban was a slam dunk. You know that they're going to overturn that. But like you said, they didn't uh, make an announcement till the end of the year. Maybe that uncertainty did have a little something to do with it.
1: Yeah, just from my perspective, we we were in Kansas City covering uh, Mizzou basketball in a basketball tournament there Thanksgiving weekend and just exactly 72 hours before kickoff in Little Rock is when they announced it 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 was just something we were chasing the entire fall and just for it to just kind of happen the way it did that's that was a week I don't think any Mizzou beat reporter is going to forget last year's Thanksgiving week but just kind of moving on back to this year you said you talked to Drinkwitz his first year at App State what were your impressions of him then and you know how much of his success do you attribute to using Scott Satterfield's roster who went to Louisville and how much of the first-year success do you think he can translate from winning the Sun Belt to this, this year's SEC?
2: Well, uh, I thought he did a great job at App State because last year uh, he did step into a pretty good situation. I mean, last year they had 10 starters back on offense, 6 on defense. Had the entire spring to work with the team. He had a, a veteran quarterback and Zach Thomas coming back. Uh, Darrington Evans was back in the fold at running back, and and defensively they had some pretty good talent throughout the, the lineup. And uh, but to get them to thirteen and one as it was, I mean, big wins. A big win over North Carolina last year, going into Louisiana, coming out with the win. Uh, the one loss they had to Georgia Southern sort of surprised me. It was a, a poor weather game, but then going into South Carolina the very next week and coming out with the win last year for Coach Drinkwitz But uh I don't think the situation's quite the same this year that he's stepping into. It's not as veteran of a team. It's not one that's coming off an eleven and two season and he only got in three spring practices to work with the team. And for most of the coaches out there, you know, an experienced head coach with an experienced quarterback, they're gonna overcome the loss of spring. But I think first year head coaches are going to struggle without that this year because they really didn't get a chance to learn their team inside and out. And I think those are the ones that's going to hurt the most of this year
1: and therefore uh the sec preview uh that you have in the magazine missouri's exact preview is on pages 78 and 79 of the magazine but about 12 or so pages before that you you picked missouri sixth in the sec east this year what was some of the reasoning behind that and just you know was there any consideration to put them seven or five or how did you exact come to six
2: Yeah, I would say there was more consideration to move them up to five, Uh, and the thing I like about Missouri is they've got the defensive coordinator back, they've got a veteran defense with seven starters back. I don't like having to replace Jordan Elliott up front on the D-line and Cale Garrett at linebacker, but of course, Garrett went out after five games last year, so they already had to replace him last season. Uh, There were some key losses on the defense, but seven starters back, defense coordinator back, he knows the defense. I think they'll be Find on that side of the ball. The question marks would be offensively, which is Drinkwitz's uh, forte, but brand new, you know, the, the new quarterback will it be Sean Robinson, Taylor Powell, and Basilek? They've got the, the solid running back in Roundtree, but very little bit of time to work in the Drinkwitz offense this year. So I, I think, you know, it's it's more of a, a first year head coach, only three spring practices. That had a, a, probably a major factor in picking up six as opposed to fifth. But I'll tell you what. The East is a very talented uh, division this year i mean you look up top georgia and florida nobody's going to argue putting missouri behind them right? right and then you look at tennessee and florida tennessee's a team that um you know in jeremy pruitt's first year he stepped into a tough situation in fact going over the team that's pruitt the first year uh they were a team that he wasn't thrilled with the talent he inherited he was coming from alabama and georgia and he didn't have that tennessee lost the six games that first year by 25 points or more so that was a rough year and then last year they were just two and five they're going nowhere sort of the opposite of Missouri then all of a sudden they won the last six games gained that momentum and now coach Pruitt's had three recruiting classes to build this squad he's got a veteran squad coming back 17 returning starters this year in fact uh, Tennessee jumps up on my um My experience chart all the way up to number 12 in the country. So it's a very experienced team, experienced quarterback, very solid offensive line. I think they're a team that's ready to go. And I asked Coach Brewitt this year when I talked to him, I said, Coach, you're playing Oklahoma, Florida, Alabama, and Georgia. I go, Can you be competitive? He's like, We can not only be competitive, we're going to be, we can win all of those games. So I think you're going to see much improved Tennessee benefiting from the push they got at the end of last year with six straight wins. And how about Kentucky? You know, Kentucky lost so much talent last year. There was very little expect- expectations. They only had eight returning starters overall. This year they have 15 returning starters. And as it was, they had a cobble through the fact they had a wide receiver playing quarterback. It somehow managed to go 8-5. and five. I'd love the job that Stoops is doing recruiting. And uh, you look at the, the talent they have, I think Terry Wilson is going to be a surprisingly good quarterback. And their defensive front seven, they got size. I remember he could 15 years ago, 10 years ago, Kentucky had, was small on the defensive front seven. These guys aren't small. They've got size across the board, including a linebacker. I think this is a talented Kentucky team that's a lot better and a lot more experienced than last year. And having a head coach entering his uh, eighth year there with an experienced club, I think you're going to see Kentucky play pretty well. So part of it was also the fact that this is a pretty good SEC East as well.
1: Gotcha. And I, I always appreciate your perspective, Phil, but We have to also uh, assess that we're living in a time where college football, I guess, is not a guarantee this year because of everything going on with COVID-19. And you wrote the magazine, correct me if I'm wrong, from the perspective of everyone's playing a full schedule. I looked through kind of the Pac-12, and you have their full schedule in there. Obviously, the decision came down after July 8th when you sent the last page to print. But just as someone who's studied the sport as long as you have, how do you kind of assess whether college football is even safe to have? And I know you're not a doctor, but what what kind of the effect would be should there be a turbulent season?
2: Well, the good news is, uh, Eric, is my projections in the magazine are based on conference records. So none of my projections in the magazine have changed. Uh, I think it was the third year of the magazine I started basing it strictly on conference records. So you know, I would take a team that played a brutal non-conference slate and have them ranked a certain spot ahead of somebody I thought would have a better record. But in conference play, I had them projected. So as long as we're playing a conference season this year, all my forecasts in the magazine I'm completely happy with with where I have the teams ranked. Now, will we play football? I'm, I'm one of those bullish guys. I'm saying we're playing football this year, and I'm saying we're playing it in the fall. And uh, maybe I'm trying to talk it into existence, but I, I do believe that. I think we will play football in the fall. And uh, and if that's the case, and even if we're just, just cut down to conference games only, I'm happy with the predictions that we have in the magazine.
1: Well, maybe you are the college football doctor, and hearing that from you, maybe some people will get, get a little more positive. And, you know, obviously it just seems like maybe a classic example was two years ago where you had Notre Dame as your number one surprise team in the country when no one else kind of thought that much of them and then they made the college football playoff just kind of just you have that crystal ball kind of more intact than other people but one thing that I, one of the biggest takeaways I took from your Missouri preview of the magazine was you expect Missouri to be favored in three of their first four games Central Arkansas, Vanderbilt, not at South Carolina. They have only East Carolina and Coastal Carolina. You expect them to win both of those, and then Eastern Michigan from Missouri. So after the three of those first four games from Missouri, I don't think you have them favored again, maybe until the season finale against Arkansas with how Louisiana Lafayette might even do coming to Columbia. What do you see, just yeah, game I, by game, kind of ranking Missouri right there?
2: Yeah, and yeah, I think you hit on the head. Three and one, right to start out of the box, and uh, you know, Central Arkansas, yes, Vanderbilt at home, yes, Eastern Michigan at home, yes. I do think South Carolina is going to be an improved team this year. Uh, I know Missouri beat them pretty bad last year, thirty-four fourteen, but it is on the road, uh, and I've, I've got South Carolina win that. But they will be an underdog at Tennessee, as, as I touched on. Tennessee's loaded. You know, Kalani Sitake at BYU. I've talked to them all five years, gone through the team with them. This is by far the best team he's put on the f- football field. They've got an outstanding offensive line, goes three deep. They're three deep at quarterback. They're three deep at pr- practically every position. That game's up in the altitude of Provo. That's going to be tough. I do a BYU favorite there. Georgia, no brainer. I've got the Bulldogs favored. Kentucky, I'm very bullish on this year. Uh, experienced team with an uh, eighth-year head coach versus a somewhat inexperienced team. In fact, I've got um, Missouri coming in by number 66 on my experience rankings this year uh, with the first-year head coach so i think kentucky might be favored in that one although that could be in the toss-up category so if you're looking for one for missouri to steal that would clearly be one uh right there in the uh seventh week or the eighth week of the season at mississippi state that one's probably changed a little i think missouri could eat could possibly get that one because not only at mississippi state are you talking about uh, a first-year head coach, Mike Leach, uh, who's trying to learn his team? He didn't have any spring practices, and he's trying to convert his team from a, uh, a run-based team. I mean, let's face it, they have a running quarterback, run-based team, run, the offensive line was built for run-blocking, and now trying to switch him into pass-based team. His first year at Washington State, he only went three and nine, uh, and in fact, he had three losing seasons his first three years there. I think he's going to have one of the tougher transitions, trying to make such a a drastic change offensively going from one that ran the ball about 65% of the time to throwing it 65% of the time. If you're looking for another game for Missouri to steal, that would be it. Then at Florida, there's going to be an underdog, Louisiana. Louisiana's a good team this year. They're they're one of the better best teams in the Sun Belt, but Missouri's got that one at home, so that could be a potential win there. And then if you if you've got your golden black uh, glasses on, yeah, Arkansas is clearly a, a win as well. In fact, I've got Missouri about a 10 point favorite against Arkansas. So I could make a case for Missouri getting to a bowl game this year and a first-year head coach, but uh, just didn't do so in the magazine.
1: Gotcha. And just looking kind of at Missouri as a whole, it seems like just from your individual player projections, you're very high on Nick Bolton. And you mentioned Cale Garrett earlier and how Nick Bolton kind of went from just in Missouri's 4-2-5 system they play defensively, went from just the other guy in the two next to Cale Garrett to one of the best and highest-valued linebackers in the country, what have you seen from him, and who are some of the other Missouri players you really like?
2: Yeah, Bolton uh, clearly a linebacker, and Missouri's pretty good at establishing linebackers that uh, turn it—excuse me—turn into tackle machines. And Bolton's that guy, 107 tackles last year. I believe he had about double the tackles of the number two tackler last season. Right. Uh, the other players that stand out for me, uh, you take a look at it, Kobe Whiteside, and here's the stat that I love. I mean, generally when folks are doing their All-American teams or all conference teams and it, it's based on the sacks, well, you'd have a whole lineup of defensive ends, wouldn't you? Yeah, because that's the guys that get the sacks. But Whiteside had, had uh, seven sacks last year, a defensive tackle. So you got a guy that's 6'1", 300, obviously knows how to get leverage in, side and recorded seven sacks last year i love that stat so i think he's going to be one of the better defensive tackles uh in the sec chris turner could be a guy at uh, defensive end to emerge this year i know he only had two sacks last year but i think he's got the potential at 6'4 270 to generate a pass rush and uh those are probably my top three guys on defense uh potentially you go to the secondary they've got three returning starters but i'd say my top three would be those guys
1: Anybody on offense besides Roundtree catch your eye?
2: Yeah, Roundtree definitely. <laughs> you know, there's no, no ifs and buts uh, about it. But um, I'm, I think if you're looking at the uh, the receivers this year, I like the Virginia Tech transfer, Damon Hazel- Hazleton, and even the TCU transfer at quarterback, Sean Robinson, could be a really good player. He's my number seven rated quarterback coming out of high school. He's 6'2", uh, 200, and he's he can, comes in from. Um, Uh, TCU, so I think that he started seven games there last year, comes in with uh, uh, the starting experience, he's fast, he's athletic, he's got a strong arm, and uh, he can throw a great uh, deep ball. So I I like a lot of things about Sean Robinson. And if you're looking up front, uh, you know, on the well, tight end Daniel Parker could be worth a look at 6'4", 245. I like the size he has at tight end. And up front on the offensive line, they do have two starters returning in Cook and Boreham, but I didn't put either one very highly in my uh, preseason rankings. We'll have to see how they come out.
1: Gotcha. Funny story about Sean Robinson. Uh, covered him in high school at DeSoto and then before that Denton Geyer. And in the, they won a state championship actually against a high school named Steel High School in the San Antonio area. <laughs> uh, Caden Stearns for Texas played for Cibolo Steele in that game. Uh, actually one of the highest. I'm sure you have him rated from your Big 12 things. Caden Stern's probably a first round draft pick coming up this next year, very highly rated. But going back to the FCS, uh, not the FCS, sorry, that's where the uh, Missouri's first opponent is in the FCS, Central Arkansas, but the SEC. Uh, for the second straight year, you have Missouri's two Western opponents ranked six and seven in Mississippi State and Arkansas, having Ole Miss and Arkansas in those positions last year. Looking at the conferences as a whole, I imagine Alabama is your pick to win it. And how do you see kind of the conference as a whole playing out?
2: Yeah, I went way out on a limb there, didn't they, Eric? Yeah. yeah. Alabama. When the FCC yeah. Yeah. <laughs> one of these years but uh, I, believe it or not I picked Vandy last again I don't, I don't know if you've read the magazine it's generally a tradition for me uh, in the east we yeah, in the east Georgia Florida are two teams that uh, everybody's picking I think Florida could be the, the pick of the SEC media days I won with Georgia I, I'm a defensive guy and I think they might have the best defense in the country plus they got two pretty good quarterbacks coming in to replace uh, the, the starter that left you look at Gene Jamie Newman, a big kid, strong arm, mobile, might be a little bit of Cam Newton. And then the JT Daniels coming in from USC. Yeah, they're in pretty good shape at the quarterback spot. So I went with Georgia, winning in the East, and we talked about Florida a little bit. But in the West, I do have one surprise team out there. And you talk, talked about Notre Dame uh, two years ago. We had Washington making the playoff a few years ago. They made it. Last year, I picked Utah as my number one surprise team in the country. And, Eric, I'm watching the Pac-12 title game, and I'm all excited to rejoice in the fact that my My surprise team has done it again, made the playoff, and then they go and lose to Oregon in a doggone Pac-12 title game. But this year, my number one surprise team is the Texas A&M Aggies. And when I look at Texas A&M, it goes back to my conversations with Coach Fisher last year. Uh, I told him, after going through the team with them, that uh, the thing that surprised me was the lack of seniors. They had very few seniors on the team. It was a young squad. And then I asked him about the schedule because it looked hellacious. As it turns out, it was. They took on three number one ranked teams last year. They took on uh, Clemson when they were number one, Alabama when they were number one, LSU when they were number one. They also took on the number four and the number eight uh, teams in the country. So five top ten teams. Naturally, they lost all five games with the young team. But I told Coach Fisher at the end of the conversation last year, I said, Coach, I'm going to put you on the cover of my national magazine next year. Well, it's next year and they're taking on the number 66 rated schedule in the country. There's There might be only one top 10 opponent this year and they've got 17 returning starters coming back, led by a veteran senior quarterback in Kellen Mond. Uh, Spiller is back at running back. They have my number 13 rated offensive line, number 12 rated D line, number nine linebackers, number six DBs. I could go on and on, but much like LSU last year, when I sat down and looked at their schedule, I only had them an underdog in one game, LSU, and that was at Tuscaloosa. And I'm sorry, I basically said if they beat Alabama on the road, they can do it. Well, this year, AM, the only game I have an underdog in is at Alabama. And so that's going to be the key. If they can do what LSU did last year, win in Tuscaloosa, they could win the West.
1: Gotcha. And one more question. Thank you so much, Phil, for taking the time to join us. Uh, and I think one of the scenarios, actually, when you mentioned Texas AM for Mizzou fans, is that one of the scenarios is when if you play conference only, adding the next couple non-traditional crossover games in missouri is scheduled to host texas a&m in 2021 so that could be a game that's added to the schedule so that is a little bit prevalent prevalent for mizzou fans there but i think it is you have ohio state uh oklahoma uh clemson alabama is your four in the college ball playoff correct
2: yeah shocker there uh, eric i went way out of the box on that (laughs) who who
1: do you have uh, reaching the title game then and who would be your national champion
2: you know, I went with the fact that I think an experienced quarterback is going to be really important this year, and I went with the two most experienced quarterbacks on two very talented teams, Clemson and Ohio State, reaching the title game. You know, Trevor Lawrence is a guy that last year had eight interceptions the first seven games. Then he had a 22-0 ratio the last seven games. So I think you're going to see him be the number one pick in next year's draft, great quarterback to build the team around. And then you got Justin Fields at uh, Ohio State. And with Justin Fields, uh, last year my question mark was, wasn't a size. He had it. Speed, got it. Athleticism, got it. Throwing the arm, great. I question now if he could read defenses or not. And guess what? 41 touchdown passes, three interceptions. I think the guy can read defenses. So uh, I think it's Ohio State and Clemson in the national title game. I watched last year's playoff game. I thought Ohio State might have been the better team than Clemson last year. Uh, they just settled for a lot of field goals early on, had a couple key plays go there against them. I went with Ohio State winning it all this year. I love the job Ryan Dade last year and if he does anything any type of job like he did last year this year then look out
1: all right that was phil steele the publisher of the college uh, phil steele college world magazine thank you so much for joining us every year here on the show hopefully we get to talk to you again next year maybe even check with you sometime in between stay safe out there phil thanks so much
2: hey thank you eric great talking football with you today always enjoy it my friend you too thanks so much phil
1: we would like to thank our sponsors for the Mizzou sports podcast University of Missouri Healthcare. University of Missouri Healthcare is proud to be the official sponsor of MU Athletics.
0: Blue Events. Let Blue create your perfect event. Their passion for food, service, and presentation ensures that you will have a seamless and memorable event, no matter the size. They will work with you to bring your vision to life. Phyllis Nichols, State Farm Insurance. There when things go wrong, here to help life go right. And now back to our podcast.
1: Once again, to Phil Steele for joining us on this week's Masuda Sports Podcast. Uh, I went back and listened, as I mentioned earlier, to last year's interview with Phil, and I talked to him right before we left for Media Days, and just how different it seems like that the prep for that season was compared to this season, and how I kind of wish it was more like that. But we're obviously still living in a pandemic, and we're trying to have sports, as you mentioned. I mean, the NHL comes back at the beginning of August. And I'm really looking forward to that, with the Seattle Kraken being announced today, and washington redskins becoming the washington football team officially today and just a whole lot of sports craziness going on today mike tyson announces returning to boxing today and just we're, we're, we're barely past noon and today has just been a crazy stupid
0: day on twitter and opening night tonight uh yankees nationals uh excited i never and i i can't remember the last time i was excited about opening day for baseball but i'll be glued to the tv watching this afternoon so
1: yeah, and the NBA started their preseason games yesterday. MLS has been back. and WNBA starts this Saturday, I believe. With Sophie Cunningham, she is in the Wubble, and she is playing for the Mercury. And, yeah, just sports are coming back, and that's the whole difference with college football is. It's still kind of up in the air, and it feels like the NFL is inching closer to a return, and we'll see how everything goes from there. But I know we wanted to talk about my story from, uh, I guess it would be uh, the Thursday edition of the Columbia Daily Tribune where I did rank the top 10 players from missouri who would be important to this upcoming season and langston made a really good point why don't you cut we talked a little bit off air but talk to me about the point you made kind of about how i ranked the players and the caveat at the front that i made and what, what your thoughts were going from there
0: yeah it's really interesting when you look at ranking a top 10 players for the university of missouri just because it's missing one key position, quarterback, the most important position. And just because Drinkwitz hasn't been uh, forward with, you know, who he believes will be starting or hasn't really shared any information with the media on that, there's no quarterback on your list. And that's the most important piece. And now that we kind of move on from the post-Drew Locke and, uh oh, man, I'm Kelly Bryant. Kelly Bryant. Um, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> so okay. That's how much I liked him. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> At Clemson or Missouri? Yeah either um but you know now that we kind of move past the those two eras um and we move into a possible sean robinson um era at at mizzou your list doesn't include the quarterback and that's i think the position that people care about the most and the most intrigued by especially now that we have a new offensive minded head coach and coach drinkwitz and i fully
1: admit like yeah i wanted to include you know whether it be Taylor Powell, Connor Baselack, Brady Cook, or a walk-on, who the starting quarterback would be, and it looks like the clubhouse favorite, as Phil still predicted, as Langston kind of just predicted, would be the TCU transfer Sean Robinson, because he's the longest-tenured starting quarterback, whether it's here or at another school, on Missouri's roster right now, and figured to be the backup to Kelly Bryant should he have been eligible last year but I I don't think it's as set in stone as, oh, it's already Sean's job to lose as some people are making it. I do think he is the clubhouse favorite and would be my pick, but you can't disagree with what the Taylor Powell has been here. He knows the offense. He knows these players a little bit better. Plus the little bit we saw from the SEMO game, the Georgia game, and the Arkansas game last year of Connor Baselak before he tore his ACL. Got off of surgery. Some people are stronger. Some people need longer way to recover. I don't think it's a set in stone as this is, we'll be seeing Sean Robinson, you know, taking the snaps, you know, against Central Arkansas. Should that be the season opener? I don't think it's that set in stone, but you know, that's why I wanted to include that caveat of like, listen, I understand how important a quarterback is, and that's why I think I went five offense, five defense, um, no special teams on the list. But yes, quarterback is important. But when you can't identify who that person is, and I think last year I made a similar list, and it was so easy to put Kelly Bryant number one. And I think it was Kale Garrett as the quarterback of the defense, number two, which is why this year's quarterback of the defense, Nick Bolton, is my number one pick. Um, And kind of going through the list, I think I had Larry Roundtree, number two. It was Case Cook, number three. And I think he's the most interesting on the list for where I put him for a very specific reason. He's one of two returning, starting offensive linemen for Missouri, along with Larry Borum, who I think was number eight on the list. But I put Case Cook that low is because of just how... Much rave reviews he received consistently last year from the likes of Barry Odom and Derek Dooley. And although maybe their way of evaluating talent might not have been gracious for Missouri fans because of the talent you saw on the field, the one, one of the consistent people, along with a Barrett Bannister, along with I'm trying to think of other examples, I guess a Yasir Durant and some other offensive linemen, was a Case Cook. And he started 10 games last year. And just how he kind of took, I think he took over the Paul Adams spot. And he just made it look like he played like Paul Adams. He he was one of the more higher producing offensive linemen last year, out, go, out outperforming at times a Trevor Wallace Sims or a Yassir Durant or even a Tristan Colon Castillo. Even though I think probably Yassir Durant was probably most consistent year-round, Case Cook definitely had his moments to shine. And, you know, just I think that that vocal leadership that we did get to see in the three spring practices to start off in early March was kind of great from him and i think that now when you look at who could lead this year that's the only peak we have and one of the more outspoken players was also adam sparks on defense who wasn't on my list but i just think with you had to combine the experience with the vocal leadership which is why jarvis ware i believe is my only true cornerback on that list after demarcus az graduates and christian holmes is transferred to oklahoma state
0: Yep, and talking about defensive backs, you've got tied for fourth. You got Joshua Bledsoe and Tyree Gillespie talking about a safety duo that can really kind of ensure and, and, and wrap up the backside of this Mizzou defense. That's what kind of stood out to me because just watching the games and not really diving into the stats myself, just from an outsider perspective, I didn't know that Bledsoe and Gillespie were so effective. But just kind of going to your um into your article, 99 tackles last year, 17 pass breakups, up, break excuse me, and eight tackles for loss seems like they can really kind of anchor that backside of the defense and kind of going back up to nick bolton it's really interesting a year ago nick bolton was really kind of the sidekick to Kel garrett and now in the offseason and everything that happened last season nick bolton has really kind of presented himself as you know a premier linebacker in the sec and it's just fascinating to see that
1: yeah for sure and before i go any further and i forgot and we can get back to this talk in a minute about the mizzou sports podcast it's brought to you by zaxby's the homemade to, uh, well, let me start o- that over. I don't want to mess it up for Zaxby's. The Mizzou Sports Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, the home the home of handmade-to-order chicken, salads, and more than a dozen mild wild sauces. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today. The Columbia location of Zaxby's is on Stadium Drive and North 63. Had to get that out of the way. I did forget that earlier. My apologies to Zaxby's and anyone, any Zaxby's fanatics that are listening out there that I forgot to mention your chicken-chicken sandwiches. But anyway, no, I, I agree with Langston's point. And that's why like I was uh editing the article yesterday kind of live with Gabby Velasquez, our kind of our assistant sports editor in a sense, but she's the digital editor and wears too many hats at the Tribune. She's integral to what we do. But just to kind of go from you know, she was like, Wait, you didn't pick a number five. Oh wait, you ranked them number four. I, you can't separate what they do. It seems like Gillespie gets a lot of love and I do think that his big flashy moments are kind of what stand out about the two of them. But Bledsoe was just Mr. Mr. Solid, Mr. Consistent there very much at, at, at the strong safety spot is very much, you know, keeping and containing when, you know, Gillespie his I hate to say, it, but his biggest moment last year was the, the hit he put on Moha's which was targeting during the Vanderbilt game, but just how much power he could have. And then he had to sit out the first half against Kentucky, which is a lot, the only non-start between the two of them last year but he came into the game for Martez Manuel, who started that spot and just immediately had an impact. Not that Martez did bad. It's just that you can see how evolved Tyree Gillespie is where he's drawing comparisons to pick Brown in that way for Missouri of just that level of consistent safety and all the things pick Brown did for Missouri. So I, I wanted to actually put them higher. It's just like when you look at with the production round tree and what, how much offensive line help they need and, the, just the straight up just presence of Nick Bolton that's the highest I could put them even though I think that they'll be as important as a duo as Missouri has this year
0: Definitely, I agree. And then, kind of moving down the list, you've got Tyler Beatty at seven. And It's interesting to see if he that can really truly become a two-handed monster there in the backfield between Roundtree and Beatty this year. Especially since there's so many questions, like we've already you know alluded to earlier in the podcast when it comes to quarterback. Those two can really kind of step up and take over. And that what makes um, you know Case Cook even more important, establishing the run game and really kind of anchoring this kind of new revolving door when it comes to our, uh, the University of Missouri's offensive line.
1: For sure, you know, and, and, and I do think that, you know, Phil still, you know, kind of predicted that Missouri could make a bowl game this year. I do think that that'll end up happening. You know, you're kind of looking at the Missouri schedule. You know, I, 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 South Carolina is an improved team, but I don't see how they're all that threatening in the style they play to Missouri. So Missouri could be 4 0 heading into the meat of their schedule. And yes, there's the road game at Tennessee, the road game at BYU, home to Kentucky, which always seems like a challenging matchup, Georgia coming here, which is probably going to be a loss and then you have at mississippi state and really you know phil Steele is not very high on them you get louisiana lafayette at home there's some opportunity there for missouri and of course you end the season with that game in kansas city against arkansas who despite any positives that might be coming out of there i still think they're a four win team at best this year so missouri has it's not like the silver you know silver platter schedule they had last year but it's not too much further down than that you know you add a very good byu team and trade out some similar trade outs i mean missouri's schedule is a little harder this year but not to the level where it's like well Drinkwitz is gonna have to go through the fire like like a tennessee is gonna have to go through where they have a true road game against i think both alabama and oklahoma and then you also have to play georgia and florida on top of that missouri doesn't really have those kind of non-conference or the west crossover kind of heavy hitters coming in here
0: yeah, I guess the, the only question, and it's the question looming over all SEC schools right now is, are they even going to have that, you know, opening game against the Central Arkansas? Arkansas, are they going to have that game against this Eastern Michigan? Oh my goodness. BYU, you know, Louisiana, Lafayette. It's, that's the main question kind of going to this football season. You know, without a doubt, I think that Missouri is going to play their SEC schedule. But those other games that could, you know, those are three, four games right there that could be extremely beneficial in you know qualifying for a bowl game those might not happen this year
1: no that might not happen this year and uh, but we want to leave it on kind of a more positive note so you know we did touch on xavier pinson a couple of weeks ago uh it looks like he is definitely returning teasing more that he's returning to the university of missouri uh that deadline is if august 7th is 15 days away is 11 days from today i did get the 15 minus 4 math correct in my head i am that good there we no, go no but but yes, no. Uh, any other thoughts before we at, uh, end this episode, Langston? Kind of want to make it a football-centric episode with talking to uh, Phil Steele.
0: Uh, yeah, if you want to see football, and that's collegiate NFL or even high school football, please wear a mask. I, I think that's just going to be our weekly close. Please wear your mask and socially distance. Until we get a football season,
1: I agree. Uh, wear a mask. For Langston Newsom. I've been Eric Blom. Thank you for checking out this week's episode of the Mizzou Sports Podcast, and we'll see you next week.